Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. We went out uh, yesterday morning and we did a bit of treasure hunting. And I just want to add something to what Jackie was saying because we had some clues and we found some people. And of the people we found, two of them said, Oh, Riverside, been there. Lovely coffee, marvellous building, fantastic atmosphere. And the lunch was brilliant. So well done. We prayed for somebody who was going to have a knee replacement. And then this other little incident happened and there was... Chris and Peggy were walking along. Just for the matter of the story, I was on the other side of the road, so I'm not sure this would have happened if I'd have been with them. But this deaf young lady came up and said she knew they were Christians just by looking at them. And she was from a Pentecostal background, and we prayed for her. And one of the things we had on our list was somebody who'd suffered loss, and she'd recently lost her father, and so we were able to pray for her. You see, when we get outside the building... And we're entering into this reach mentality, then things happen. Not only do we find coffee machines and maybe a barista, but we find people who God just wants to bless. And we had no negativity at all. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Well, oh, now Simon said last week that we'd come to the end of the series on reach. (laughs) Uh, But I asked him if I could use this free preaching slot to hopefully add to the series. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at two portions of Scripture that actually we've already looked at over the last few weeks. One was the one where Simon opened up the, the preach on reach. Do you know what that story was? Oh, come on. It was only four weeks ago. (laughs) Short-term memory problems here, or long-term memory problems. About the rich young man, do you remember it now? Oh, yes, of course you do. And then the other portion of scripture is we're going to look at the prodigal son, which is what I preached on uh, the last time I preached. Now, the thrust of this series, the Reach series, is that we should share the good news of Jesus. But in order to share the good news, we have to be... Good news. And for most of us, that's a bit of a work in progress. Because it's not so easy all the time to be good news, is it? As you get older, maybe you get a bit grumpier. (laughs) They even have series on television, don't they? Grumpy old men. And I understand there's a sequel, Grumpy Old Women. Now, there was, in Simon, one of his preachers, I can't remember which one it was, but he made this startling claim. And I just wonder if any of you were kind of pulled up by it. And his claim was that there is no precise definition of the good news. About right? Yeah. And I thought about that, and I thought, really? Is that true? I mean, all my life, I believe there was an absolute 
you know, definition of what the good news is. And as Simon, my pastor, is telling me that there's no clear definition. So I thought, better do some research here, because he's a man of God, you know. So I looked at a couple of stories. And there's one that Jesus encounters, well, he doesn't actually encounter him, but there's this Roman centurion whose servant's sick, and he says, sends a message to Jesus, says, you don't have to come, just say the word, and my servant will be healed. So maybe the good news is, if you are a Gentile, and you've got a servant who's healed, and you believe that Jesus doesn't need to come but can heal him, then that's good news. Is that the good news? Hmm. And then Jesus is teaching in a house, and some people break through the roof. And they lower a friend down, because he's paralysed. And Jesus, it says, sees their faith, and says to the man, your sins are forgiven. So the, maybe the good news is, if you've got friends that have got faith, and they say, you know, your sins can be forgiven. Is that the good news? Hmm. And then Jesus tells the story of two men that go to the temple. One is a religious person and he's saying, oh, thank God I'm not like him. He's a sinner. And the sinner says, oh, God had mercy on me. And Jesus says, he is the better person. So maybe the good news is about what you say to God with the right kind of attitude. Is that the good news? Jesus meets somebody a tax collector, and has tea with him. And says, salvation has come to this house because the tax collector promises to do, put right everything he's done wrong. So maybe if you put right everything you've done wrong, that's the good news. Or maybe if you're a thief dying on the cross next to Jesus, and you say, just remember me, that's enough to get you into paradise. You see, I think Jesus went out of his way to avoid bringing clarity, even when asked a very straightforward question, he wouldn't give a clear answer as to exactly what this good news is. Why do you think that is? I think it's because it's so much bigger than we can grasp. It's so much bigger than we can imagine. It's more inclusive than we think. And the good news is greater because God's love is limitless. God's grace knows no end. It's unquantifiable. You see, Jesus knows that in our infinite humanity, we have a tendency to want to package things up in such a clear and precise way. We want to distill it down to a very simple message. But the problem is that when we do that, it always leads to exclusivity and not inclusivity. We end up excluding people from the good news rather than including people, which is what Jesus wanted to do. And Jesus calls us to be open to the most unexpected ways in which the good news will impact the most unlikely of people. And who are we to say and limit what the good news of Jesus is. How, how arrogant it is when we think that we've got the absolute precise answer. And when we do that, God laughs. 
and sends something along to us which totally and utterly throws us into confusion. Have you ever experienced that? So the good news is that I think Jesus wants to invite us into God's bigger story. And our story with God's story adds to the good news. And we're going to look at that. Now, before we do, oh, turn it on. Always a good start. Wow, it's a diamond. Jewish scholars describe the word of God as a diamond. And you can look at a diamond, and if you look at it, it's got many facets, many sides. And as you turn it, you get a different view and a different perspective. The colours change. You see something from a new perspective, and something comes as a new revelation. And that's why we should read, we should read the Gospels, we should read the Bible. Always expecting that God will show us something new, something that we may be have never seen before. Before Simon and Keeley came, this church had a set of church rules, and we had elders. Now, our church rules never specifically said that elders were men, but they never actually said that women could be. So we decided to change our rules to make it very, very explicit that women could be elders, could lead and teach in the church. And one of the books I read in preparation for this was a book by a woman called Sarah Sumner. Now, she felt called to be a theologian, a theologian in the world of men, theologians. And many of the men questioned whether she could be a theologian because theologians taught. And how could a woman teach? And how could a woman teach men? Woo! Scary, isn't it? And she wrote this book called Men and Women in the Church, and in it she, she tells of her journey, and she was looking for a verse for, that God would just give her out of the scripture. Turn the diamond round. Show me another facet of your word. Give me an insight into this. And she came across this verse that Paul wrote. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, nor male or female, as we're all one in Christ Jesus. No longer male or female. We're all one in Christ Jesus. And she just took that as a revelation from God, that she was on the right track. Now, Simon's been encouraging us to read the Gospels again. You can do that. If you go online, if you can get online, there's an app called Bible Gateway. You can go on there. You can read the Bible in all kinds of versions, NIV, NLT, whatever you want. You know, before breakfast, after breakfast, whatever it is. And it's got an interesting little feature that I discovered. You can turn off verses and headings. So you can read it as it was first written, without the distraction of numbers and headings and things like that. You can just read the Word of God. And I would encourage you to do that. Right, now let's get into the sermon, because that was just the introduction. <laughs> now you did say I could go on, didn't you? Yes, you did. Right. A young rich man comes to Jesus and asks this question. What can I do, must I do, to get eternal life? So this is the golden opportunity. 
Now, Jesus has got this amazing opportunity to tell us without any ambiguity what it is that we should do to get eternal life. It's so simple, isn't it? Well, apparently not. So if I say to you the words eternal life, what comes to mind? Heaven. Heaven. Who thinks heaven? Oh, lots of people. I thought heaven. Yeah, whatever. Eternal life. Heaven. Okay, so what image comes to mind when we talk of heaven? Angels. Anything else? Garden. Anything else? God, yeah, I expect God's there. Singing. Singing. Anything else? Mansions, possibly. Animals. Animals, what do you think? Why? Animals in heaven. Hold that thought. White robes? Fluffy cows? Crowns? Harps? It could go on, isn't it? One pastor described heaven as an endless worship service. Now, to some people, that would feel like something else. (laughs) And I have great respect for our worship band, who were amazing this morning. Yeah, I think our concept needs changing. You see, our problem is that we don't understand the question. We've made a connection with the connection with that question to our own preconceived ideas of what eternal life is. You see, there was a concept that both the rich young man and Jesus were absolutely familiar with, which is that there was going to come a new age, an age to come, when things were going to be different. And that's what this man is asking Jesus about. And Jesus spoke not only of this age, but of the age to come. He also spoke of entering into life, which is like saying the same thing, but a different way. And he said it's better to be maimed in this life so that you can enter into the next life in the age to come. And the, the way that the Jews describe the age to come, they use the phrase eternal life. There's a theologian which I would you know, encourage you to, to read. This guy called N.T. Wright. And he's written some great books. They're very easy to read. They're for kind of people like me who don't know a lot about these things. But he says that we have underestimated what Jesus came to do. He didn't just come, he didn't come to get us into heaven. The, big, the good news is so much bigger than that. There's a day when God is going to redeem everything, when everything's going to get renewed, when everything's going to get recreated, when everything is going to be put right. Death and decay are going to be abolished. So the question this man is asking is, How do I be part of, how can I be sure that I'm part of this age to come when God 
puts everything right. Which, are, which leads to another question, doesn't it? What does this age to come look like? And where will this age to come exist? Because it's not like that. The prophet Isaiah saw something in a prophecy that God gave him. That in a time to come, the world would be a completely different place. And if you read through these verses, you can see that without God's intervention, this is never going to happen. The wolf and the lamb living together? Can't see that happening. It'll be mint chops all round. There are other scriptures which we haven't got time to look at today, but they talk of all the people of all the earth coming to God's holy mountain to be taught by him and to, be, to live in his light. And this is the fulfilment of the, prof, of the promise that God gave to Abraham, that through him all children, all families of the world will be blessed. Scriptures talk about swords becoming plowshares, weapons being abolished, death being destroyed, tears being wiped away, children walking with lions, playing with poisonous snakes. You see, the good news is more than about you and I being saved. It's about God's reign being re-established over all creation. At the moment, it's in heaven God's will's done. But our prayer is that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in that day, in that day of the Lord, his will will be done everywhere. And in that time, heaven and earth become one place. And God lives with his people. And we get to be part of a creation that I can't even begin to imagine. There are going to be animals. If you love horse riding, I think you're going to be loving it. I love scuba diving. I'm just looking forward to scuba diving in the age to come. Because I think, and this is only me thinking, I don't know the Bible says this, but I think all the species that we've ever lost will be recreated and renewed. I think there's all lots of things to see that we've never seen. Wouldn't that be amazing? But there's something about this age to come that we have to recognise because there's lots of things that's going to be included, but there's going to be things that are excluded. There isn't going to be any war because there's going to be no weapons. There's going to be no violence. There's going to be no rape. There's going to be no greed, no pride, no exploitation, no division. An age when God says, there is going to be no more bad news. So your newspapers and your newscasters are going to be out of job unless they get with a program and tell you what the good news is. So this is a place where God recreates everything as it should be, as it was meant to be. And you and I partner with him and we have passions in us that are going to be part of that recreated life. Doesn't that sound good? Who's up for that? Oh, only some of you. Okay. Well, it's always the other player. No. Um, that's all cool, well and good, isn't it? 
until we realize that some of the things that are not going to be there are going to be the things that are inside us, that are part of who we are. Now, I think the worship was not only brilliant this morning because of the way they worshipped and they led us, but in terms of the song they chose, which I had nothing to do with, because they talked about the flaws in our character, and it's the flaws in our character that are going to have to be eliminated because there ain't going to be any place in that age to come if you're proud, if you're greedy, if you're angry, if you're impatient, if you're gossipy, if you're moany and grumbly, if you think violent thoughts. You see, we are part of the problem. Part of the world, the world, reason this world is in a mess is because of us. In fact, it's the only reason the world's in a mess. And I'm not only talking about sin and stuff like that, where we mess up relationships and we don't love one another. <laughs> We've messed up the planet. We've all been complicit, haven't we, in plastic and stuff. We thought it was good and convenient, but it's done damage. And God's will is not being done. And part of us being in this new age to come is that we get to live in a world in how it should be. Anyway, I'm digressing. Let's get back to the story. <laughs> you see, when Jesus is interacting with this young man, he knows there's a problem in this man's heart. So when the man says, well, what do I have to do? Jesus gives him the answer he's expecting. So maybe the good news is that you obey the commandments. And then if you read it through, Jesus starts to list them. Don't murder anybody. Sounds good. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony. Honour your father and mother. Love your neighbour as yourself. All very simple stuff, isn't it? So what's the problem? I've kept all those since I was a young man. Great. Now, I have to say, wiser heads than me spotted something in this little exchange. It's not what Jesus said, it's what Jesus didn't say. Now, how many of you know the Ten Commandments off heart, by heart? I'm not seeing much response here. You've got a lot of them up there. There's one missing. No, not idols. Well, that is, but that's not... Coveting, envy. You see, what Jesus saw in this man's heart was that his wealth was his flaw, was the flaw in his character. It was his weak spot. Envy, when enough is not enough. Envy, when greed comes. And Jesus saw in this man's heart, that his hanging on to his wealth was going to disqualify him from the age to come. Because he was given his wealth to faithfully discharge that, to bless others. And what Jesus saw in this man's heart is that, no, he wanted his riches for himself. If you can't be faithful with what gives you in this life, how can you be faithful when God gives you more in the life to come? So Jesus says, 
sell everything you've got. Come follow me. Remove the temptation. Get rid of that thing that's killing you. Come join me. Come into a better story. A story that sees you transform from somebody who's holding on and grasping at wealth to somebody who gives stuff away with generosity. Come and be transformed. It's a choice this young man had to stay in his current story or to move into a new story that Jesus was telling of how his life could be and how that life would be one that would prepare him for the age to come. You see, when Jesus looks at each and every one of us, he sees our flaws. And the invitation to come, follow me, is an invitation for us to enter into a new story. One that's based on relationship with Jesus and transformation of our character, of our souls. Day by day, being renewed and transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Isn't that good news? And that's the choice this young man had. Whose story was he going to enter into? There's a story here for this young man. There's a story here for us. He says, come and join me and we'll start a new story in this age which will also go into the age to come. You see, when we partner with God today, we've entered into eternal life. We've entered into the beginning of the age to come because Jesus pulls the future into the present and says, come and join me. Come and join me in a new story. And this story is not only can transform you, but it will transform situations and the people around you. Wow. But the young man walks away and turns down the invitation to follow Jesus. So I ask you again, what is the character flaw? What's the attitude? Simon touched on it at the end of worship. What is it, is it that's leading you away from God? What, what is that transform, transformational step you need? How does your story need it changing today? Maybe you've got a story already, how Jesus has already transformed you. He's already changed your story. And therefore you have a powerful story about how Jesus has met with you and you've met with him and he's changed you and you're different. You're a better version of the person than you were. And that's how we begin to reach and to share the good news because in that transformation, we become good news. So let's look at the parable of the prodigal son again. And last time we talked, it was very much about grace. But let's look at this story from a, a different perspective. Let's turn the diamond round. Let's look at another facet of the story. How would you summarise the young son's story? Well, the young son's story is one of guilt, shame, a sense that he's no longer worthy to be called a son. 
And that's become his belief. That is his story. That's what he's living in. That's his truth. And that story is going to shape the rest of his life. Ah, the good thing is he knows he's messed up big time. And he's coming home more in hope than expectation. Because that's his story. But there's a different story, a different truth, a better truth, a greater truth, wrapped up in another story. And that is that he's loved, forgiven, he's accepted and not rejected. There's a robe and a ring and some sandals. He's restored again as a son. That's the father's story. It's one of redemption and reconciliation. You're my son. The fact is he never stopped being a son. It's just that he started to believe that he was not worthy of being a son. And he's got a choice now. Which story does he live in? Does he live in the story that he's believing, which is he's not worthy? Or does he live in the father's story, which is he's now restored? Some people are trapped in their past. Decisions that they've made that have derailed lives. Secrets they've kept hidden from everyone. For us, all our flaws and failures and shame cry out that we're not good enough. We'll never live up to the expectation of ours, of God's, of other people's. And as I was preparing this, God reminded me of something that happened when I was about 10, 11 years old. Uh, We were living in Gravesend. And I don't remember the details of the story. All I remember that my father had said something to me. And I remember just shouting out to him, I'm never going to be good enough for you. I never seem to be able to get it right. And when things happen to you when you're that young, I don't think my father meant anything bad by it, but I took upon myself the fact that I wasn't worthy. I wasn't good enough. I spent an awful lot of my life being a workaholic trying to prove that I was good enough. Until, of course, Jesus changed my story. And he changed my story, in essence, through this story. Because there was a day when I encountered Jesus in this story where he said to me, you are my son. You are my son. And then I had a choice. It's whose story am I going to live in? Am I going to live in my story, which I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy? Or am I going to live in the story that I am indeed the Father's Son? I am a child of God. I read something quite profound in a devotional book I use. Overcoming the obstacles or people in front of us is often more about changing the weaknesses and the imperfections in us rather than changing the obstacle or the person in front of us. I learned patience. Do you know how I learned patience? 
by the people that God brought into my life. I like to say that some of them are here today, (laughs) but that would be rude. (laughs) And let me give you a tip. Never, never ask God to take somebody out of your life that is a pain in the neck. Because if he does, chances are the next person will be ten times worse. And that happened to me. It did. You see, when we enter into God's story of our lives, that's when the transformation of our character begins. Because Jesus is the role model. The likeness of Jesus is our goal. So which of these stories is the son going to choose? You see, it's not a one-time decision. You see, day by day, every day he gets up in the morning, he's got to say to himself, I'm a son. He's got to reject any thought that the father's going to change his mind. That maybe you wake up one day and the father says, you know what, I've had it with you. You're out of here. You made such a mess, you're out of here. He has to live in the belief that the father's truth will last forever and ever and ever and ever Amen. So what's he going to do? Oh, I wonder what he did. Now, we don't often talk about this guy. But this is the older son. And he's got a story too. And if you read through this, wow, what comes out of this story is bitterness, anger, at the way he perceives he's been treated. The father's mean a slave driver, a nitpicker, a killjoy. The father is demanding of his obedience. The father is unfair and he's been badly treated. He's outside of that party and he is angry. I'm telling you. Furious at the injustice of it all. And that story will shape his whole life. What waits for him is a life of bitterness and anger. But the father has a different story. Everything I have is yours. He never had to work for it because it was always his. And any effort he did put in was ultimately for his own benefit because it was his. He was never treated as a slave. The father never wanted a slave. (coughs) From the story, we know that the father is generous to a fault. And if he gave the young man his inheritance, he would never have refused anything that the older son would have asked for. And in fact, he didn't need to ask for it because it was his. All he had to do was take what was his and use it. And the, the fact that the father was unfair, well, that is grace. You see, in the father's story, sinners get forgiven. People don't get what they deserve. Parties are thrown for wayward sons. So which story 
is, the, is this man going to believe? You see, people reject God because they have a distorted view of what he's like. Some of us, maybe, have had fathers that weren't the best role models. Therefore, we find it difficult to relate to a father who loves us unconditionally, who will never leave us or forsake us. Some people, because of their pride and their ego, they don't need any help from anyone, especially not God. They want their will to be done on earth, not God's, and that's fine. They have no time for him. Other people are angry at God by the way life's turned out. They're angry at him because they blame him for everything. It's all God's fault. Somebody's got to be blamed. They ignore the fact that our God is a loving, gracious, kind God. And God is saying there's a different story that this man can enter into, that anybody can enter into. It's a story that replaces bitterness and anger, pretense, pride, with a story that says you're forgiven. There's love and peace and joy. And you can stay out of the party angry, or you can enter into the Father's story and join the celebration. Would the worship band like to come back up on the stage as I bring this to a close? He said, hopefully, not preaching for another 20 minutes. Just a recap. Jesus and the young man understood that eternal life referred to the age to come. And if you want to read N.T. Wright's book, it's called When God Becomes King, and he unpacks a lot about what eternal life is and what it isn't, and how our understanding of it has limited our understanding as to why Jesus came. You see, his mission was wider than just personal salvation. It was about God renewing all things. And God is going to reconcile all things, not just people. The whole of creation is waiting to be renewed. Paul talks about the groaning of creation, just waiting for the appearance of the son and daughters of God. So, oh, can we just stop with this destruction and death and decay and enter into a new age to come? Heaven and earth will become one. And there's no place there for our imperfections, for greed, decay, death, suffering, or injustice. God is going to put everything right, including us. The age to come will be free from evil. No more bad news. Jesus sees the flaws in the young man and invites him into a new story to prepare him for the age to come. That greed... That seed of greed was already there in his heart and Jesus saw it and he knew it was going to grip him and only selling all his possessions would free him from the corruption that would keep him from the age to come. Come into a new story, young man. It's a better story. And the prodigal son and the older brother are invited into the father's story to replace their own destructive stories. The father wants to see them changed. And the Father's truth and the Father's story is the thing that can set them free. 
And the good news is that Jesus invites us all into a new story. And our new story turns us into good news as we're transformed through our relationship with Jesus. Transformation takes time and our flaws will still trip us up. The Father's love, though, is unfailing and his acceptance is solid for all time. Our flesh fails us. The world may judge us. Satan will come and try and discourage us. But nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not our weaknesses, not the world, not its culture, not the evil one. Absolutely nothing can separate us from God. And identity is everything. We have to believe we are who God says we are. And when God said to me, you're my son, and there's nothing too much trouble for me because you're my son. I have to believe that, and you have to believe that what God says of you is true. You're a child of God. You're a friend of Jesus. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. And the band's going to play to us, and they're going to sing us a song. But I want to sing this song, and I want to make it a prayer of affirmation. I want it, you to make it a decision to enter into God's story for your life. And we affirm that decision day by day. And maybe you're already walking that, and you want to reaffirm it again. And I want you to be open to God's transformation today. It might be a small step in the journey. If Jesus says, follow me, just respond. And as a church, we invite you to come forward for prayer as a response. We invite you to come forward for healing ministry. We invite you to come forward for a blessing, for encouragement. We invite you to come forward to renew your story today. Thanks for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at WhitRiverside.